you protect what you love. Hunting is a life, not a lifestyle, it's a life. This is Hunters to show people how great of a job we're doing for conservation, providing for ourselves all the things you and I understand. I think you kind of owe it to the animal that you're hunting to be as prepared as possible. You know, as I get older, I appreciate the laughs and the time and the experience. All right, so... So we elk hunting? Yeah, we elk hunting. Uh, we're talking about it because that's one of the, especially because it's September, that's what we get the most questions about right now. Specifically, I get, I mean, everyone asks about like calling situations, calling tactics, times of year, um, that sort of thing. So no one would know more about it than you. So, well, <laughs> you spoke enough of me to learn from your mistakes. Yeah. So, one <laughs> <laughs> of the, um, one of the ones that we get the most, just going to dive straight into the meat of it, um, is like how like how do you judge, say like you, you hear elk, you know, and you're, you, hadn't, you hadn't set up or anything on it yet, but the, the main, the meat of the question, because we've gotten this in a bunch, is how do you decide how aggressive that you are going to get with it? Like how, how aggressive are you going to get with your calling? Well, one of the things that, that I try to pay most attention to is to try to figure out if it's, if this bull is with cows, is he by himself? How quick does he jump back responding when we call to him? I always, I always try to start off cow call soft and then go up from there. Um, bugles, I, I don't always start off with a bugle at first if I'm in a situation where we're a set up. Right. If we're just trying to locate, yeah. just a, a bugle, I prefer to do that over cow call because a lot of times once you start cow calling, you better be have your eyes right. ready because they could be coming. So, yeah. To, to as far as how to just it's just like if you're turkey hunting you know if that if that bull's responding and he's getting closer you can hear the intensity in his bugle yeah. if it's just a little just a courtesy answer you know then you probably need to get closer to him and take it easy if yeah. it's one of those where you hear him bugle and you do a cow call and he comes back with just a roar just roar, you know you can hear that serious right. oh he is interested and just just start easy just, you know, cow call every now and then. Maybe I like to use two or three different cow calls to sound right. like a group of cows. Um, but sometimes you have to, if, if you're calling and nothing's happening, throw a bugle in there. And yeah. a lot of times he'll think, hmm, oh, he's got some competition over Someone's there. Now, better on my go party. check it out. And it, always err on the side of caution, I think. And, and it, a lot, you got to figure out what they're doing too. You know, if you got a bull by himself looking for cows, he'll pretty much you can call him most anywhere. If you got a bull that's following cows, then you got to get really focused on position because yeah. that's you know you're going to have to get up beside them because they're going to always be walking into the wind 99 percent of the time. Yeah, and so you, you can't get ahead of them, and and even some of the best hunters, I mean the best hunters I know can be in the best shape still can't get ahead of a elk movement. no <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um it's just if they're moving it's about position if they're looking for you and you want to make them come look for you um you really can't do no wrong you'd like take a hoochie mama and a hyperlip single or a, a, a pallet plate mouth call and just sound like two or three cows you know nothing aggressive just they're feeding they're doing what they do every day yeah many times i think one of the worst mistakes you make is by getting too aggressive with cow calls and there's cows with a bull mm -hmm. and more times than not if the cows don't like it they 
they taking that bull Take the bull away. away. Well, the cows are leaving, and the bull's just going to follow. Right, right. He'll be, he'll be bugling at you the whole time, but them cows will be like, hmm, I've been up here all all this time, and I never heard no cow sound like that. Yeah. That's uh that's something I'd never heard or never thought about till you brought it up one time when we were hunting together. You know, and I and it's I I don't know why I never thought of it because I I think of that way while I'm turkey hunting and it's kind of the same premise. Is you know you were like those cows they know and if you go up if you're down you know down up below them or above them and you're going crazy, those cows might be like that's not something's not right. Yeah, I, I think you get two chances at a at a group of cows. Like you can call aggressive, and I think they'll they'll put up with it one time, maybe two times. But after that, when they hear, it, they just—I mean—they're there every day. Right. They know. That's another reason I like to be cautious and just—I try to put think in my mind. Okay, what are these cows doing? If you've heard them, you've heard calves and cows talking. It's just little chirps. And when the, when the rut's going on and the bulls are going absolutely crazy, and you start hearing the cows. Mm-hmm. and the calves yeah. mainly you're hearing the calves mewing a lot because they've gotten mixed up the bulls have chased the cows and they've gotten separated right and you when you start hearing those calves mewing a lot that's when you can really yeah. get aggressive with them because it's it's as hot as it gets right then yeah that's yeah. always been a gauge for me when those calves are running around without their mama looking for it's it's, it's on yeah it's as good as it gets um one subject I definitely want to touch on because I always like to tailor this podcast because it seems like the majority of, of people listening um, that are asking the most elk questions are either they're going on their first hunt or they're still kind of new to it and they're kind of maybe on a budget. And so it, it seems to be, you could probably answer this better than me, but I, I don't know if it's maybe they can get more financial friendly hunts towards the beginning of September, towards the earlier part of the season where it's not just full blown rut. And so say if you're, you know, one of those guys that is not going to be able to hunt when it's just full-blown bugling like like we were just talking about and it's going to be early season, what are going to be some of the stuff you do then? Because I have always heard like one of the worst things you can do is, you know, blow in there going crazy when they're not like that yet, you know. Right. I I absolutely believe that. I mean, because those elk live there year-round. They know what's going on. They know when if you go in there and you start – getting real aggressive like on a uh, a hyper lip and, and being real loud and um the intensity of the calls is is heavy and a lot and frequent those cows they don't put up with that they really don't they're gone the best thing you could do at that point it's more about strategy early right it's about water um i would spend more time trying to figure out where they're spending the day yeah you know would about where they you know whether they go into a water hole because I've had my best hunt, whether it's early season on public land, on private land, um, in the middle of the day. Yeah. Because what happens is those, those bulls are with those cows at that point. They're, they're hanging around. You know, they're all fixing. They're, they're figuring things out. Right. If you figure out where they're bedding with on, on a ridge, in a valley, or just some kind of location, I think you're – best chances of, of killing a, a big bull because once a big bull gets him a group of cows he don't leave them right but early season he's moving from his summer ground i mean they know by within a day what's going on right and if you can get yourself in a position with a few soft calls where you, you can kill your biggest bulls early season yeah. i totally believe that but it's about it's all about position you got to have done your homework you got to know where they're living yeah and you can't bust up in there on them because you spook them, they're gone. Yeah. I mean, they don't like 
when they look back, they're going to be three or four miles away going, where was that? Right. <laughs> so you, are you, when you're trying to do that middle of the day, are you throwing out bugles trying to find them first? or No, I, I, you, you could. I would probably do some little soft bugles, but not aggressively. Right. And try to find them. But I would, if you know, your, if you know the country, even if you know it by maps, they're going to be in dark timber because the early right. season is going to be hot. They're going to be in, in places where it's shady, mm-hmm. and typically they're going to be high. Yeah. They like to be high because it's cooler and on top of the ridges where the wind blows. Right. And that's when if you can figure that out, whether it's summertime, you could even go to where in the summertime and figure out where they are bedding because it's going to be similar to where it's going to be in the fall and you're not going to mess them up. Right. If you do blow them out, they'll, they'll have time to settle down, come back. So get in there, get close to where you think they are, make a few soft calls. And if they don't answer you back or come back aggressive or, or come to you just sit sit there 20 minutes 30 minutes and make a few soft calls don't get aggressive though because if you get aggressive those cows are going to be like hmm yeah it ain't time i'm speaking early season right yeah 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 no uh, but that that'd be my best advice is it's, it's more about strategic s- strategy m- learn from scouting and just spending time yeah in that area yeah and i've said you know something that you hear a good bit you know they're like well that's you know if you hunt on private land that doesn't get hunted very often you can pretty much go in there and do whatever you want they haven't heard a call i've seen you know cows get kind of wary even uh, even on land that doesn't get hunted that much it's just just because of the time of the year and you start throwing a bunch of calls at them and they you know it's like like you said there's some they figure out just something's a little bit not right and they just kind of move on and i mean these cows may be 10 12 15 years old who knows I mean, right. they've been there they know the game they know yeah. the drill they know how it's played they live by themselves yeah you know 11 months a year and all of a sudden here we come <laughs> yeah like, that's something not yeah yeah i figure you know it's it's uh the main thing like and i've heard i've learned it from you and from will and from troy is just the one of the biggest things you can do to help your success rate is try to match your calling your aggressiveness to the level of where the elk are yeah, they in tell you stage. their intensity. Yeah. If it's wide open, you can be wide open. Yeah. If it's quiet, you better be quiet. Yeah. Because I, I can remember some, some of the coolest hunts that I've been on with you. I'm even The one uh, Brad Johnston shot at Purgatory. Yeah. You yep. And, and, and Mike were down there raking trees, bugling, cow calling, and that's because that's what the elk were doing. There were so many bulls bugling, it just it we matched their same level, and it worked. Well, that was a group of elk, and it was – I mean, it was a, I mean, dead in the center, heat of the rut, and it was four or five bulls and some cows bedded on a ridge, and we just got just below them, and we started doing the same thing they did, raking trees, bugling, chuckling, being aggressive, um, cow calls, calf calls. I, I mean, a lot of people really don't need to do, uh, underestimate the calf call, that mm. little light, you 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 because that's that's a sign to me that the, that the rut is is full swing right because they're separated right and those i mean you hear it every time i've never been out there a year when i didn't hear them calves and you can make one cow call and here comes that calf running in your face right you and the whole time yeah well don't be afraid to do that too mix a few calf calls in with your cows and and, and just create a party create fun create intensity yeah. that's what these that's what gets them and that's what we did yeah. with that hunter you're yeah. talking about right it, there since you brought that up being below them and this is uh, this is one that it's always an interesting one do you change your tactics if if any to or how much if you set up below a bull or above a bull well that's 
totally dependent on the wind. I don't change a thing with I'm above or below. If more times, if you have bugled and he thinks another bull's there, he's going to come even or above you because right. he wants advantage. Mm-hmm. Now, it's it depends on where you are. If you're in the higher country, the thermals are and the wind's blowing is tough. And I'll tell you about a hunt from last year. When you were these, we listened to these elk, and the wind was just come down and go up, blowing every which way. It was right in that funny time where the cool air mm-hmm. is warming up, and cool air's you know still, still trying to settle down, and the and the warm air's trying to, you know, it's just right. the air's confused. Yeah. <laughs> so we sat and listened to these elk for three hours, and at 11:30, those thermals finally changed, and those that warm air started flowing up that mountain. Yeah. steady you know we waited 30 minutes and it stayed steady for 30 minutes well when that happened it was mike williams yeah we eased on got right on top of that bull i knew he was bad i made two of the softest little calls he answered immediately and within two minutes he was standing there 10 yards from mike yeah but we waited yeah now, if we would have tried to go in there with them thermals blowing every which way it wouldn't work even though he was bedded we knew where he was he'd bugle just every now and then and um it turned out that 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 was the, the patience definitely paid off yeah. by us sitting up there for three hours. You could do a whole podcast episode, I feel like, just on patience alone. Because again, and that's we can touch on it briefly because I think it's worth it. Because like again, knowing that most of these questions and stuff we get sent in are from people that are first timers or new to it ever. I know from the first time that I went out there, or what, what other what, no matter what kind of hunting it is, it's so easy to get out there. And so you hear a bull bugling, you know, it's so it's so easy to get so jacked up, excited, you just want to run in there and try to make it happen as quick as you can. Whereas to if you like you said in that situation you just explained, if you would have done that, that would not have happened. We had to wait. We had to get the, the, the thermals to do right. Um you know, midday hunting is to me one has gotten to be over the last few years well probably my favorite elk tactic when it comes yeah. to whether it's early, whether it's especially during the heat of the rut when they're really bugling. And here's why. Because once those cows and those elk groups are moving up and down, because mo- more times than not, to somebody who hadn't hunted them, they're going to go up high where it's cooler in the day, right. and they're going to come down in the valleys and the floor, the, the parks and the meadows at night to feed. That's how it usually works most of the time. Now, when those elk are moving, I prefer them to get wherever, wherever they're going once they start bugling a little bit all during the day, it's mm-hmm. getting pretty good. But I like to let them get where they're, where I think they're going to bed and get settled down. Let those cows lay down, because that bull is not going to leave those cows yeah. to come to another one he hears. But once all those cows get bedded up, he don't bed up. He might lay down for five or ten minutes and rest, but he's on, he's going to be up walking around that, checking out that whole area that whole day, yeah. all day long. And if you can get in there with the wind get close and make a few cow calls i have had countless encounters with with big bulls and i'm convinced the only way that that bull was going to come to a cow call at that point is when his other cows are laying down he didn't have to worry about them right he didn't have to worry about them moving on yeah he's not trying to keep up with them yeah i mean and you, you got to crowd them a little bit and don't spook them but get within 100 yards they come because i can remember um this was last year when uh you were in colorado and will Troy, Jordan, and I were in New Mexico. This is when I was hunting. And it was the first time. It was so cool. It, this hunt in particular didn't work out. Um, 
but it was cool to actually see it unfold because we could see the elk. He was just on – it was him, it was a bull, and he had, like, I think at least 15 cows with him. And it was getting towards probably 11, 11.30, and uh, they'd gotten under – it was hot, so they was under some shade. Just kind of – you could see them bedded down. And, uh, you know, me and Jordan snuck up there kind of to a point and set up, and Troy got – Troy and Will both dropped back and started calling. And uh, – at first, you know, he would come out when we first started calling. All the, all the cows were bedded down, so he stood up and he came running out. And I thought it was about to happen. He come running out right in the middle of the meadow and bugled, just, and then he kind of stood there and he looked. And I guess I think that timber down there was just a little bit too open for him, and well, he, he and he expected you know to see something down there, and he didn't. You know, he did, he kind of he just kind of stood and went and stood next to his cows again, and then you know we ended up. We probably sat on that bull and those cows for at least an hour, you know, just taking our time. And finally, I guess Will just decided, you know, he wanted to try to, you know, see if he could make something happen. And he started raking a tree and bugling. And when he did that, all those cows stood up and started coming straight to us. And the bull ran around, cut them off, mm-hmm. and pushed them all up. And he's like, he didn't want any part <laughs> of that. He said, no, nah. he didn't want that other bull to take his cows. Yep. But he said, no, we going this way. And he herded them up the mountain. And I'd never, you know, like I said, I mean, I, he was a big bull. I wanted to shoot him, but it was cool to watch that happen. Because I feel like I learned a lot just watching how they acted and all that and see what did we do right, what did we do wrong, you know. And see, that's why, you know, you, you have to eventually try being aggressive with bugles if you're that close to them, if, if nothing else is working. But a lot of times, if if, you, if you're in the if you're in the zone we call it, and you bugle, that bull is going to come come and right. be ready to fight you. But if you're if you're too far away, mm-hmm. he's going to like he did with you. He's going to get them cows, yeah. move them on. And I think a lot that had to do with it there. And I'm just you know speculating, but trying. I, I think a lot of it had to do with the the open area you know i think if we were in a more timbered area and he couldn't see as far as he could have seen he probably would have come closer but just that this is just me thinking the fact that he could see that far and see either that bull's not a threat or you know i'm I'm gonna stay Too here with my distance, cows yeah. right and you know we always talk about calling we've talked about it but still for for new elk hunters or they hadn't been out there i can't stress how important to have a friend to go help you yeah have a caller um, and as a general rule, if if your caller can see the elk, he's too close. Mm. I mean, when we do that, we set up 100, 150, 200 yards behind the hunter. We know where that hunter, like if you and I were hunting, like I would I'd find out where you wanted to set up. And once I knew where you're sitting, then I'm going to back up. I know that's important because I have to bring that bull one side or the other, depending on what the wind's blowing. Right. i got to keep your position. and. I mean, I've gotten so far before that you didn't even hear me calling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the bull can. Yeah. And uh, or vice versa. I didn't hear there, you calling. There was a back. time, uh, the one that you shot last year when uh, Mr. Mike was calling. Yep. Mike was like, he really responded when I bugled. And I was like, you bugled? We couldn't even hear him. Yep. But the elk can because they, they can hear way better than we that can. Was, that was a midday hunt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got in there middle of the day, 11 o'clock. I just really – you know, I'd almost, of course, you can't. There's nothing better than the sunrise in the in the Rocky Mountains, but it's almost better to to go out there at eight or nine o'clock because the thermals are the winds usually straightening out depending on where you are. Like yeah. in New Mexico, it's a southwest breeze most all the time, right? So we don't have an issue. But up at Purgatory or on the hill ranch places like that, we hunt. It's 
it's high. I yeah. mean, you know, you're talking 11, 12,000 feet. So right. th- those winds are tough. Yeah. And, and the best time to hunt there is going to be from 11 to about 3 mm-hmm. or 4. When right. Storm winds are going up. Yeah. Because that's our only consistent time. Yeah. It just, it's uh, what I've learned, like I said, just from hunting with y'all. And some, if I could emphasize to anyone that's going out there for the first time, is just I've seen the the chance of success is so much higher, no matter if we're talking about calling, moving in on elk, whatever is if you don't try to rush anything. Yeah. Just try Take to, yeah. Even with, and I want to ask you about this, because um, analyzing, like, your setup spots. And I know that's, a gen- like, a kind of a broad topic. You could go that a lot of ways. But, you know, choosing, I feel like choosing where you, especially if you're archery hunting, and we're talking about the rut, so you're probably going to be archery hunting. Choosing where you actually go, all right, I'm going to get right here. And, you know, caller's going to get back here. I feel like that's, very very important you know it, it is and and that's another advantage to having a caller too if you call up a big bull say you're calling for me and that bull thinks you're 100 yards 150 yards behind there he's not focused on me right and he's focused on down the hill that's where his thoughts are that's where he's looking and really the the, the biggest thing is is having a if you can set up where you got a tree in front of you not that blocks a lot, just where you can draw your bow. Right. But many times he's going to look around, he's going to bugle, you can get your bow back. And getting your bow back in time is the biggest thing that has to be done correctly yeah. because they're they're focused, they're looking. Now they're focused down the hill. But if you try to wait and draw your bow and that bull is 20 yards, it's he, he's going to yeah. see you most of the time. So it, look at your setup. Well, however it is and think about okay that bull's you, you hear him bugling you know he's coming right here i got to draw right there he's going to be at 50 yards 40 yards i can draw hold it because most time they're coming fairly fast yeah more times than not there yeah. you know you're not going to have to hold your bow no two minutes and they can cover their ground so oh. fast like it never ceases to amaze me how quick they can close distance yep and then just he's coming he's going to go he's going to walk past you mm-hmm. so there's no reason why you don't have a good angle just let him get to where he can get broadside Mm-hmm. Make a little, have a mouth call, do a little bitty light sound. You don't want to be loud because it could scare them when they're that close. And get them to stop. Boom, yeah. you're drawn back. Yeah. And there's nothing better than having all five of your pins on the side of a big elk <laughs> at about 20 yards either. I never knew what that felt like until I shot that one last year. Because I was, what two, like, again, I had unfair advantage because I'd watched y'all do it, you know, three years prior. And so I, you know, had good teachers. But, as that elk was coming in, like one, when uh, like again, Jordan Will, uh, Jordan and uh, I were up front. Troy and Will dropped down, and Jordan and I were getting up to the point where we wanted to set up at. And there was another tree, plenty big enough to you know kneel down or stand by, but it was in the it was in the bright sun. The sun was just bearing down on it, but I could have I could have gained ten yards. But from hunting with y'all, I knew the tree just you know ten. I put myself ten yards back. But we were both just painted in the shade. I mean, gotcha. just just deep, deep shade. And then, as I was walking that elk, come watching the elk come in, I wa- I waited for his elk. I mean, he was again. He was focused on the sound of Wilbur calling down the hill. And there was a big old falling down tree, and I waited for his head to go behind that tree. And as soon as his head slipped behind that tree, I just eased my bow back. And he never, you know, just from. And I learned that again from y'all, from what. But he he never even. Just ease it yeah, back. just ease back and was focused and had an obstacle between me and him and it worked. And worked. don't and, and 
for people trying to figure out, you don't have to shoot 70 pounds. Like, I've been shooting 60 pounds the last several years. Mm-hmm. And then at 60 pounds, like you said, if I'm in a not the ideal place to draw, but I can, like, the hunt at Purgatory, you talked about with Mike Bugle back yeah. behind us. Yeah. That bull came out in a little meadow and, and was coming at an angle straight at me. Yeah. Well, I drew my bow, but I'm in the shade. I'm in the shade. He's in the sun. And I just, I had my bow out and I just eased it straight back. Yeah. One easy I, motion. Yeah. So if you're shooting a lot of pounds and you can't make that one fluid, easy draw, yeah. then you're too much weight. Yeah. I mean, I'm shooting like my, my Matthews tracks is, 61 pounds shooting 292 that's pretty I mean, why good, shoot yeah. why shoot more i mean that's plenty fast <laughs> yeah that and, and think about that's a good point because um a lot of times you know guys ask a lot of uh, just as much along with the the elk calling setups they ask what you know our arrow setups or bow setups are and i'm not saying you know i mean they're shooting you know 70 pound bows i mean just as heavy as broadhead as you can find and i'm not saying i mean that's not going to hurt you but if you get to the point where you're you're trying to almost have a aneurysm pulling the bow back, then you could be hurting yourself when it's all happening because you want to be able to just ease it back ease as fluid back. as you can. Every ease it back, and, and as well as it's it's not with our you know let off these days, you can actually you know 60 pounds. I can hold 60 pounds back longer than yeah. I can, you know that's let off than a 70 pound bow. Yeah. If I get in a situation where I have to hold it back up for a minute, we have that. Um, when this podcast goes up, we have that GoPro clip of that bull where you can see what you're talking about. Yeah. You easing that. We need to, yeah, we'll put that up there because that's a good example of what we're talking about because you didn't you didn't have to move the bow at all from where nope. you were just holding it. You just whoop, just eased it back, and that he never even. And instead of getting in front of a tree, I like to get right beside a tree because I can still swing right, swing left, right. but I got I'm, I'm I just feel like I'm more concealed being up next to a tree than. Yeah. You, you definitely don't get behind a bush. Yeah. So it gets in the way. Yeah. You know, stay where, stay where you can see, but you have a little bit of cover because you can get away with some movement. Yeah. But you just gotta, you gotta think in your head. Okay, I have to draw when he's right there, and you better do it because once he gets up close to you within twenty yards, yeah. you try to draw and he's he's boogery. He could be. Yeah. But but, I have had him get so close, and I've spooked him on purpose, like moving my arm or moving my foot or my yeah. leg, and they don't know what it is, and then they'll hop a couple times just go meow yeah and they'll be like what was that now you know when he spooks you better draw your bow fast yeah and then try to stop him because most of the time unless they smell you they'll stop like well what was that where'd that come from yeah i'm thinking that definitely can work but i'm i'm thinking i don't know like for me last year the the first time when i was trying to shoot elk with my bow i don't know if i'd have been able to keep it all together (laughs) <laughs> if I tried, if they went to spooking, I, you know, you know I, I, I would try to go. I think my first route would be just try to get drawn back without them knowing you're in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Just for, I mean, you know, maybe someone that's more experienced probably could. And someone that's their first time, they may could pull it off. <laughs> I well, probably if, couldn't. If this is, you know, if this is your first trip or second trip or you hadn't elk hunted much and you're still learning, trying to figure out what to do, think about your setup, anticipate the situation where you're setting up if you have time sometimes you don't have time you just have to sit there and whatever happens happens but if you can you know take 30 seconds and say okay that tree looks better i'm gonna move over there and try to anticipate what's happening patience and anticipation yeah is is everything and please don't take a head-on shot people people kill elk shooting them like that but 
a bad shot, an elk can go down so fast if he's hit right, and then if he's hit bad, he can go forever. Yeah. He, they are one to, and plus this, we owe him respect to, yeah. to give him. And I, I'm not going to release my bow unless I'm 100% sure that I think, I'm 100% confident that I can hit him good. Yeah. I'm not saying I always do, but yeah, <laughs> hit I mean, a limb or something, but I'm not yeah. going to take a shot just because I'm nervous, I'm excited, he's close. I think I can, I think I can get it in there. Uh-uh. I'm never going to shoot an elk that I think I make and get yeah. get a good shot. Yeah. I'm going to know. Yeah, because that's that's definitely easy for that's easy for anyone to get excited to do, especially someone's out there that first time, the first bull that comes in and they don't have a good shot, or if it's getting towards the latter part of their trip and a bull comes in, and he doesn't offer a good shot. It's still not worth it to yeah, take a questionable it. shot. Nope. Yeah. No, and we, and we owe it to them not to do that. Yeah. Oh, I agree, hundred yeah. percent. That's what um, Will was telling me that when I was when we were getting ready, and he he told me he said, look. If you have any question in your head, don't shoot. Don't shoot. Just don't shoot. It's not right. He said, wait until you know you can slam dunk him, and then that's when you shoot. Mm-hmm. If there's any question, it's not worth it. And if you if you know you watch a lot of the primo shows over the last few years, just about every elk we shoot, you see them fall. Yeah. Because we don't take bad shots. Yeah. Like I'm going to Colorado next week, and I'll be there. Come back. I'll be there for three weeks. Colorado, New Mexico, and you'll be be meeting you out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if a 500-inch bull walks up to me and I got a questionable shot, I'm letting him go. Yeah. And I 100% believe that because I've seen you do it before. I'm let, I'm just not, not with a 500-inch bull, but I've seen <laughs> you do it. I'm saying score don't matter. I mean, yeah. I, I would let a, a, a realistically a 400-inch bull. I mean, if I had one, you know, that I had to shoot head on at 20 yards, I'm I'm not doing it. Yeah. I'm just not. Yeah. You know? Because I don't want to wound him and he, he go off and he die – then we all lose. Yeah. Elk loses, we lose. But, you know, then you always got the next day. Yeah, because I think about it this way, too. Elk hunting, especially, you know, if you don't live out there, if you're coming from like, like us, if you're coming from the southeast, the northeast, wherever, elk hunting is so much about the experience of the hunt. It's so – everything about elk hunting is just so – it still feels like it's so, it's foreign enough to me because, you know, being in Mississippi, just there's so many parts about elk hunting other than shooting the elk that makes it what it is. So if you were to go and take a questionable shot, wound elk, not kill him, that just puts a whole base, a bad taste in your mouth for that whole hunt, and it's just not worth that. It does. I'd rather walk away with a man, we got close, but, you know, never had a good go shot. Because just to, like next week when I get there, there's nothing like that cool, crisp air, right? that clean, fresh smell that, that the mountains have. And you start seeing the aspens turn and hear the elk bugle. It's a, it really is a special time of year. That all us outdoorsmen, gosh, if you, I mean, I, I thank the good Lord every time I'm out there to to have to experience that every year is, is special. And I hope everybody listening and gets the chance, even if they don't get to hunt, go out there in the summertime and just hike in the mountains. Yeah. The mountains are a special place. Mm-hmm. And if you hadn't been there before, now with all the gadgets we got with these apps and stuff, you can sure scout so mm-hmm. much better knowing an area, figure out. The dark time, the dark timber, the you know the yeah. the shady sides, the cooler sides of the yeah. the mountains where the yeah. elk are going to be. Yeah, we use that that uh on X map for stuff. That stuff's amazing for the, for doing that kind of stuff for walking in the ground you never seen before. Especially if guys are trying it on public land, mm-hmm. incredible tool to use. Yep, for sure. Um, you know, a lot of times you're you're you can pick out the 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 timbered slopes on looking on the mm-hmm. the maps and yeah. and, and the, the pictures instead of the train and, and find out that those dark patches of timber you're gonna find out there spend a little time you'll know yeah 
That's, yeah, that's where you excited. get started. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. As I mean, I did this. I did this podcast because everyone was asking questions, and then partially also selfishly because I was excited and I wanted to talk about elk hunting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that time of year, and I, I hope everybody listening goes has fun, has some success, and you know, even if as we go out there, even if I don't shoot an elk this year, I'm going to have fun. Oh yeah, I know I'm gonna that. Have fun. I can yeah. have fun every day. Yeah, just being there, just listening to them, yeah. and we're going to have some laughs and some good times. We're going to see some. Some of God's best work up in the Rocky yeah. Mountains. I'm envious of you just the few days you get to get there before me because <laughs> I want to spend every day out there that I can. Yeah, well, me and my yeah. friend Mike Williams, I'm going to go call for him, yeah. and uh, he's going to hunt. We're not going to have a camera there. We're just going to go for five days right. in purgatory, right. and then I'll be there when y'all get there. And right. Hopefully, I'll have a little MRI figured out, <laughs> which is the most recent information, and when y'all yeah. get there, we'll be ready yeah. to go. Well, it's going to be a fun season, and I know especially with this, um, we're going to be able to – you know, when we have some hunts, you know, right now this is a pre, you know, preseason talk, but we'll have some more hunts to talk about realistically. We can talk about how they unfolded and analyze them and all that kind of fun stuff that everyone likes to listen to. But for now, uh, we're going to sign off. Sign off. So um, thank you all for listening. If you all have not entered the giveaway, the giveaway for the elk calls, be sure to do that. Go on the podcast page, subscribe, write a review, and leave your name. We're picking that next Thursday. So be sure to get in on that. But for now – Thank you all for listening to the Speak the Language podcast. Boom. <laughs>